You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. We're in this uh, series called Overwhelmed. It's the second week of it. Pretty excited that we're actually doing it. After you do two, it's official. It's a series. So we're in this series called Overwhelmed, with the premise being, in order for us to overwhelm the world with God, we first have to be overwhelmed by God, okay? And we talk about being in a season of maturity uh, as a church. We're moving into adolescence, not maturity. We're moving into adolescence, where we're being challenged by God to think and be more disciplined about our relationship with him. And, And we talk about in that, the Bible shows us, well, one of the things that we look for in the maturing process is that the fruit of the Spirit will be growing in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, those things, plus I added a few, will be growing in our life. And as we're growing in these things, our premise is this, that as I'm growing in my experience of God's love for me, or God's peace for me, or God's forgiveness, or God's rest or his patience in my life, as I'm growing in that through the power of the Spirit, as God is pouring that out on me, then and only then am I in a place to take that to the world. That Christianity is not about me beginning with, oh, I need to take this to the world. I need to go do this. I need to go be more loving. I need to go be more patient. I'm just going to work hard today and forgive lots of people. But that's not how it works. That's how other religions work, but that's not how we work. We work on the premise that, no, for us, first and foremost, to be who we're called to be, we have to experience the love of God. We have to be overwhelmed by the peace of God. And then out of that overflow, we then naturally bring those things to the world. That way, who gets the glory? God does. Why are you so loving, Aunt Lee? It's because you really work hard at it. Why are you so forgiving? You're such a peaceful guy. You're so peaceful. You're so gentle and kind. I don't think anyone's ever said that to me. But I want him to. I really would love for that to happen. And my response would be, it's only because of the peace that's been shown to me. It's only because of the grace and the mercy and the love that's been poured out in my life. That's what we're after. That's what this series is about. We're gonna take a fruit of the spirit every week. Today I'm talking about being overwhelmed by God's love. The importance about, of being overwhelmed by God's love in relationship to him. Eusebius is uh, maybe the first. Eusebius, what a great name. Eusebius is one of the first church historians in the early church who documented the, the, the history of the church and the growth of the church. And there's a story he has of this old guy. And this old guy leads this young guy to be a convert, according to Eusebius. And um, the old guy's raising him up in his faith, teaching, mentoring this young guy. And what happens is the old guy has to go. He's got to move on. He's got to go on a little trip. And so what he does is he takes this young guy to the bishop or to the local church leader, right? He takes him there and he says to him, he says, hey, I want you to take care of this guy. I want you to watch over this guy. I want you to continue the journey that I've begun with him. And so the bishop's like, yeah, no worries. And so this person leaves, this old man leaves, and he comes back after a while, and he finds the bishop, and he says, 
where, where's this young man that I've left into your care? And he says, oh, he's dead. And, and, and the old guy goes, well, what do you mean he's dead? He says, oh, he, he's died to the things of God. He's gone back to his old ways. He's a robber now. He actually leads a band of robbers that are up in the mountains, and no one can go there for fear of death, that they will be captured and killed. And the old man immediately rips his cloak in grief and says, bring me a horse. And so this old guy gets this horse, jumps on the horse, and heads up the mountain. And he gets up there, and sure enough, he's captured. And he says, no, 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 I, I want to be captured. Take me to your leaders. And so they take this old man to his leaders, of which is this young man. This young man, all the leaders, heavily armed. But this young one man sees the old man and begins to run and flee away from him. The old man takes off running after him. Again, they're wearing like basically dresses. And so you could imagine the old man like picking up his skirt and like trucking it after this young guy who's fully armed. He's running away from him. And the old man says to him, why are you fleeing from me? I am an old unarmed man. Don't you see there is still hope for life for you? I will gladly suffer death for you the way the Lord has suffered death for us. I will give my own life in exchange for yours. Stop, listen, trust me. The young man stops hearing these words, throws his weapons to the side and begins to weep and comes back to the man who leads him back to the father. Man, we hear a story like that. And we're like, the courage. We hear a story like that, and we're like, I want, I want, I want what he has. What's his meal plan? What's his workout regimen? What, what, what causes someone to be that reckless and abandoned for God? I want to know. I want that. What could cause a person to want to live that way? Well, fortunately for us, this old man was the Apostle John. And John documents in the book of 1 John why he lived this way. What caused him to live in this reckless abandon for God and for bringing God's love to others. In the very first chapter, four verses in, we read this. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You see, John has at the center of his life this reality, this love relationship with the Father that drives him, this fellowship, this real relationship that is the foundation for all that he does. And it's like John's kind of showing us all through the book of 1 John, he's saying, look, I'm an old man. I've been there, I've done that, I've seen it all. And there is only one hope for life. There's only one hope to have courage. 
It is in relationship. It is in fellowship with the Father through Jesus Christ. The whole book of 1 John tells this story. The first chapter is how do we begin this journey by receiving life with Jesus. And then the second chapter, it talks about how you can know that you can know God. And then in the third chapter, we read why it is possible to know God. And it begins to talk about why we know that it's possible to know God. And specifically, the first verse in chapter three, which is what we're gonna get into today, is we see John's communication pattern change. And you don't pick it up when you read it in the ESV or the NIV or the normal Bible. But when you read it in the original language, what we see John doing is demonstrating to us why we can know that we can know God. Because he starts emoting, he starts emotionally coming alive in a way that he hadn't. He had been telling the truth, communicating facts, communicating a true reality, but then all of a sudden, he begins to emotionally engage with the text. He begins to experience something as he's sharing this word And it's very different from his language. It's very different from the way that he's previously been delivering this. I want to read this scripture, and we're going to move into it. This is 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But what we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall all see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Father, we pray that you would come now through the power of your spirit, and we would know you this morning. We would behold your beauty and your love for us as your children, unlike we ever have. And we would know, we would know unlike we have ever known that we are in fellowship in love with you. In your name we pray, amen. So if John had text messaging back in the day and he sent you a text of this first verse, this is what it would look like. I don't use emojis. I don't even know if that's the way you say it. But many of you do, and they drive us crazy. (laughs) Because you use them like I use exclamation points in my text and my emails all the time. If I've sent you an email or text, there's exclamation points. It's like these emojis. But this is what's going on. John's telling the truth. He's talking about the truth. And then all of a sudden, we hit chapter 3, verse 1. And he's just finished teaching us this reality. He's just finished teaching us that Christianity is more than mechanics. Christianity is more than discipline, like I said. That you have to be born again. And in being born again, something happens in that experience that transforms you, that makes you different from the rest of his creation. And then John says this, and this is a right, more accurate translation of what's going on. Behold! And again, if these emojis could do stuff, like they're moving, the guy's dancing, he's like, behold, baby, I'm getting ready to tell you the truth that is impacting me in a way that nothing I've said has so far. And he launches into this and he says, how great, 
And he would have been emotional. He would have been maybe weeping when he said this. Based on what we see in the original text. Behold, do you behold this truth? How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Now we know that truth, don't we? We've heard that truth before, haven't we? But what John is doing in chapter three here is telling us by showing us in his emotion that it's not enough to know the truth. That you have to experience the truth. That the truth has to do something in your heart that brings transformation in all of your life. If you want to really know God. The truth of what this scripture says, though, is this, which is amazing. It's an amazing truth. Don't get me wrong. It's important truth. We unpack this. We see that this word lavished means to make a present or bestowed, to give something to someone in an event. And normally, we don't talk about doing that with our love. We just say, I love you. Mac, I love you. We don't say, Mac, I bestow my love upon thee. Mac, I present my love to thee as an offering. You know, we don't do that. We just say, Mac, I love you. I love you, man. (laughs) But what God's getting at here, what John's getting at here, is that this love that God has for us is like an event. It's like a love event. It's it's an event that, that God's creating, he's demonstrating, he's showing, he's unpacking for us that when we experience It's like we cross a line and things change. What's an event where this happens? What's an event where love is communicated and experienced in a way that from that point on, things are never the same? A wedding. A wedding. Exactly. What happens at a wedding? A wedding, what happens is you get before God, you get before your friends and your family, all of the universe, and you come together and you say... I offer you my love. I offer you myself in a way that's a gift. And what happens following that? Everything changes for you and for the person you're marrying from that point on. John is saying, that's what it's like. That's what it's like when we experience and know the love that God has for us. That, that God comes in and offers his love to us in a way that is individual and unique and transforms us forever. It moves God's love from being something that's for all creation, for all people, and your puppy, to being individualistic and for you. It's unique. A gift from God to you that changes things forever. And it identifies us And the words that John uses is being born again, that we will never be the same, that we are his children, that we haven't been just adopted in as his children on the outside so that we belong to him, but that we are actually his children, that when we receive the gift that God has for us, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us and changes our DNA, So we are not only transformed on the outside and become part of the collective family of God, but internally, we are different. 
He has renewed us. He has transformed us. We have the DNA of God alive in us. We are his children, period. Not as adopted children. We are his children. And that is what we are. That's why John says that. That if there's a paternal test, when we get to heaven, they do blood work. They take it out. We have Jesus' blood running through us. Welcome. Come in. That's what's happening here. That's what the love of God does to us internally and externally when we experience it. It's a gift that we receive that makes us children of God. Now, man, that's just great exegesis. That's just great truth, Antley. Well done. But it's just truth. Did you not know that you were adopted? Did you not know? Have you not been called a child of God? Sure you do. John has spent the first two chapters telling him that. But then why does John go so crazy? Why is he going all emoji on us here? Because he knows that that great truth of knowledge that we know about being God's children is not enough to send us into the world, much less to jump on a horse and run down a crazy man who's armed. That if we're to love the world then we have to be overwhelmed not only by the knowledge of his love, but by the experience of God's love in our life. You see, John gets all emotional and choked up as he begins to read this verse because he's trying to show us what it means to know God. He's showing us this is what it looks like to experience God in relationship in a way that transforms all the rest of your life. We've seen this happen to speakers, haven't we? A speaker stands up, they've taught, you know, First John 3, they've seen God so loved the world that he only, you know, like a famous verse, you've heard it a million times, the speaker can't, stands up to speak, something happens, and he's like, God so <laughs> loved me that he gave his only son from me. And they, they can't, he's, they've done the talk a million times. But for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit does something. Well, what's happening to the speaker? His truth is moving from his mind to his heart, and he's experiencing God loves me so much. And it's flowing out of his emotions in every way. The truth is impacting something beyond his mind. It's like the truth on steroids or something, where your emotions are impacted, your feelings are impacted. Your life is impacted. It just starts to flow out of you. Well, that's what's happening with John. We're at the garden tomb in Israel uh, this summer. At the end of my sabbatical, I got together with a group. And there's this old guy. He had to be in his 70s. And he volunteers a month of his life every year. And he takes people on this tour, the garden tomb. He's done it a hundred times. He had to have. Because all that he sees every day are the same groups. He tells the same stories again and again and again and again. And that's how it felt for the first three-fourths of the trip. And then we get to the tomb. He's taking us all these other places. We get to the tomb where they think Jesus was buried. He begins to talk about it, and he can't talk. He just loses it emotionally. And you just know He's experiencing, again, the truth, the relationship he has with the Father. 
The Father's pouring out his spirit in a way that's reminding him of the love that he's lavished on him through his son, Jesus Christ, and the death that he paid, and the place that he died, and that he was raised from for his sake. When the Holy Spirit comes, this is what knowing God is. This is, this is what it's about. This is what will change us. Is when the Holy Spirit comes in and sets a truth that we know on fire. It sets it on fire. It opens our heart. And we don't just know the truth. We behold the truth. We experience the truth. It makes our rationality go crazy. It's not rational or experience. It takes the truth that is rational and sets it on fire. It's not either or. You see, in order for us to know God, we have to know the truth. We have to study the word. We have to become students of understanding and theology and the things that are rational. But it doesn't become powerful in our life until the Holy Spirit comes and makes that crazy. That truth becomes crazy in us. And that truth overflows in us, into our emotions and our feelings in every part of life. That's what sends us into the world, isn't it? That's what causes us to say, man, why am I so mad, angry, bored, upset? That's why am I acting this way? I got this craziness going on inside of me, this love for me that's out of control. It moves us from knowing to beholding. We've experienced this. You've experienced this before. I'll show you in some places. You're having a quiet time, and it's just boring. But you're being faithful. You're learning the word. You're increasing your knowledge. Great. Obedience is good. That's awesome. But you'll crawl off that altar as a living sacrifice when the heat gets turned on. If that's all you got. You see, as a living sacrifice for Christ... When the fire gets turned on, what's going to keep you on the altar? What's going to keep you faithful? Is it knowledge? No, it's experience. And you've opened the word on some days to a passage that you've read again and again and again. It leaps off the page at you and you begin to weep. You begin to tremble in awe. You begin um, to experience God's word emotionally. And God is saying, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, how do you like that? That'll keep you on the altar when the fire's turned up. That'll keep you faithful. That will keep you faithful when things are tough. Or you come into worship here, exhausted, wanting to throat punch your kids on the way to church because they won't obey you. They got two different pairs of socks on, one shoe. You're going barefoot into RCC again. I've been there. You're angry. You walk in like, hey, we're just gonna worship like always. And you get in the middle of worship and we're singing some old hymn that you sung 50 times. We're singing about the Father's love and all of a sudden you just like are overwhelmed with God's love for you. And you begin to weep in the middle of worship. What? what? What's going on there? What's happening there? Welcome to knowing God. Welcome to experiencing truth. That's what it's like. That's what it's after. Now, does that happen every time we're in worship? No. Does that happen every time we open the word? No. But that's what we're after in knowing God and experiencing God. Tim Keller says this. 
And a lot of this sermon I've stolen from him. What? I'm a better communicator than that Jack is any day. Especially to y'all. This is the first third of one of his sermons, actually. He says this about this. Knowing God occurs when the truth overflows from your mind into your entire being. Let me say that again. Knowing God occurs when the truth overflows from your mind into your entire being. Knowing God is when the truth you've heard a thousand times becomes experientially real. And you marvel at the miracle of God's love for us. When you marvel at the miracle of God's love for you. It's like this. It's not a new truth necessary. Here's an illustration. A father's walking with his son or his daughter. They're walking through the park. Daughter knows dad loves her. Father, you know, father loves son. They've done this a million times. They're walking through the park. Everything's good. But then the father picks up his daughter or son, holds the daughter and son close to them and says, I love you so much. I live for you. My life is for you. I would die for you. You are so special to me. There's no one like you. I am so thankful for you. You belong to me. I love you. And the child begins to weep. Why? The child, there's no new information. The child knew all of those things. But it was a new idea. The old idea had become new. The experience was transforming. What they believed about the father's love was experienced in the father's hug. In a way that truth, words, knowledge can't touch. This happened to me one time. I was in the middle, and some of you, I've told this story to individually. In the middle of an extended prayer ministry session, um, one, of the th- one of the major things that God deals with me all the time is feeling like I need to earn God's love. I need to work, that my value is wrapped up in what I do in ministry. And, um, and I was in this ministry session, and uh, in this ministry session, uh, I was receiving prayer ministry. I had a picture in my mind's eye, and again, it's just a flash of me whenever I was a little kid. And I was sitting in the back room of my house with my dad, okay? My dad was sitting there. It's where we played cards and backgammon. And, and sitting next to him was Jesus on a couch, okay? And, uh, and, and, and back in that back room is the place where my dad would tell me things like, son, you're the apple of my eye. You know, you, you're, you, I'm so proud of you. I love you. You know, what you've done with your life is amazing. He would tell me all those things. But he was often drunk when he would tell me. And so I'm like, and I'm just like sitting here, like just saying what I'm seeing in my mind, right? What God's revealing to my heart. And uh, and the counselor says, well, Antley, why don't you unpack that? Why do you think that's relevant? And I said, because I don't trust that it's true. And she says, you don't trust what's true. I said, my dad's telling me that he loves me that I belong to him, that I'm the apple of his eye, that he's proud of me, but I don't believe him because he's been drinking or he's drunk. And I don't believe you, Jesus, for that reason. So when Jesus tells me, Antley, you don't have to work for my love, 
Antley, I'm proud of you. Antley, you belong to me. I have a hard time believing him because when I heard those words, I was hearing them from a dad who was drunk. And that, I mean, that was an amazing truth, yeah? Okay, well, that's not even, the, that's not even what, what powerful, powerfully what happened. That was just truth at that time. So then the counselor says to me, she says, Antley, ask Jesus if you can trust him. Okay, so the prayer minister says that to me, and I say, Jesus, is that true? Can I trust you? And Jesus said this to me. He says, John, you can trust me. I go, John? My name's John Antley Fowler. So, I mean, I knew that he knew my name. It's like, that certainly can't be what's going on here. What's going on here, Jesus? Right? And then the person who's praying for me asked me, why did he call you by your first name? Or why did he call you John? And I said, well, that's my first name. I said, my parents gave me that name after the apostle John. They named me after the apostle John. And right away, truth came. Truth moved from my heart, from my head to my heart. And without anyone in the room telling me, the counselor, prayer minister knew it, and I knew it. And Jesus says this to me. He says, no, I gave you that name, John, because you're my beloved, and you can trust me. I I was a wreck. I was like slobbering everywhere, crying. I mean, I couldn't, I, I was embarrassed to admit that it was true. It was so powerful. It was so powerful. It was so unreal, but so true. I couldn't speak about it. I couldn't talk about it. I couldn't I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. I was just weeping and wailing, emo- you know, having this experience with God because for one of the first times in my life, I really believed that I'm his beloved, that he named me, that I can trust him because he loves me. The next verse in this passage, John says this to us. He calls you his beloved. He says, beloved, All of us are Jesus' beloved. Beloved, we, and John puts himself in that group, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. John's promise is that you too are his beloved, are God's beloved. That right now you are not You are not what you will be when Jesus returns. But the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and his lavished love upon us as his children, heirs of everything that Christ is an heir to, we have this father who loves us and wants us to experience his love for us, to not just know him, but behold the love that he has for us. Behold the truth, see it and all of its beauty, all of its glory, in a way that transforms all of our life. John ran after that criminal, put his life on the line for one reason, because Jesus, he knew 
had run after him. Jesus had rescued him so that he could behold the relationship that would transform his life. And this morning, Jesus is running after you. He's running after you. And like John said to the old man, he says, there is still hope for your life. I will give and have given my life for you. Would you stop running and trust me? Will you stop running and trust me? Behold the love I have for you. Let's stand. Now, obviously, right now, everything I've just said is what? It's truth. I mean, I made you cry a little bit maybe with that story about me, but besides that, it's right here, isn't it? And for it to transform our life in a way that will cause us to transform the world, it has to move to here. It has to move from just knowing to beholding. And the only way that that happens is through the power of the Spirit. And so if you would like to behold this morning the love that God has for you, let's make room for ministry. All the front rows of chairs that have a sticker on them, we're going to stack on the rows behind them to make room because we ran out of seats last week. And so if you could do that right now as we're moving into ministry, that would be awesome. If you would like to behold God's love for you this morning, we would love for you to come and receive ministry.